0: documentary titled Playing for Peanuts. Uh, We had Mike Janella on last week and uh, hoping this trend maybe continues because I just really value what that documentary is about and how successful not only that team was, but since then the people have been a part of the documentary, uh, what they have gone on to do in their professional lives. And of course that is what this podcast is all about while using sports as a platform. So with that, my guest today is a 42-year high school coaching veteran with professional baseball stops in the independent leagues in South Georgia uh, with the Peanuts, obviously. Uh, Joliet, Illinois with the Juliet Jackhammers. They're now called the Juliet Slammers and currently the High Point Rockers of the Atlantic League out of High Point, North Carolina. So it is my pleasure to welcome to the show Bubba Birdsong. Uh, Bubba, thanks for being on and really excited to talk with you.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been uh, what, 13 years since we've had and uh to have somebody call me and talk
0: about the state, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, first and foremost, though, Bubba, how are you holding up in these times? I know uh, Albany, Georgia was hit really hard with COVID 19, and I believe they were second in the nation in terms of cases per capita. So, are you in that area? Are you in North Carolina? And how are you holding up with everything?
1: Yeah, well, I was in the Albany area for the last uh, 15 years, and this past year we moved back over to Alabama. But uh, I've got a daughter that goes to go school over close to Albany. Yeah, man, it was like the epicenter down here, man. It just blew up, and uh, everything settled down pretty good. Uh, everybody's trying to be cautious, and we're just kind of wait to see see what happens.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and and hoping uh, everything kind of settles down here, and hope you know you and me both hope uh, baseball can get played this year. That's for sure.
1: Oh man, it's it's crazy, I and mean, uh, I feel like we ought to be doing something every day, and uh, just not happening, man. I tell you what, I think it would be great for the entire nation, you know, if, if somebody was playing baseball and and we could get back to some kind of normalcy, it would be great.
0: Absolutely. So jumping right into that in your sports career, so want to go way back to obviously I just went over, you know, forty-two year high school coaching veteran, your professional stops, but I want to dig deeper. What led you, Bubba, to become a coach and and what is your advice in terms of longevity in this profession?
1: Well, I, I grew up in a small town. Uh, I live in Alabama now, and I grew up 15 miles east over the, the Georgia line, in the Georgia there on the Chattahoochee River. And it was a small town. My, my uncle was the high school coach, and I uh, grew up playing baseball, Love baseball. As a matter of fact, uh, this is the 50th anniversary of our high school state championship team. So, uh, you know, it's pretty exciting times think about that. It's hard to believe it's been 50 years as well. But I uh, always wanted to be a professional baseball player. I grew up uh, a Yankee fan from birth. And then when the Braves moved to Atlanta in 66, you know, I naturally became a Braves fan in the National League. But I remember as a young kid laying in bed listening to, and you can probably relate to this, the old Cardinal games. You can pick up <laughs> the Cardinals late at night on KMOX, I guess. Yep. Yep. Yeah, back in right the here out of St.
0: Louis, right down the street from me yeah. here in downtown yeah. St. Louis.
1: And they would come in clear at night and I would listen to them. Then, of course, when the Braves came in 66, you know, I listened every night to them. I really I really dreamed of being a professional baseball player. And I went to college thinking that maybe I'd have a chance. And uh, my uncle kind of inspired me as a coach. You know, I thought, well, if the baseball career doesn't pan out, then I'll just uh, become a high school coach. And then when I didn't get drafted and uh, I finished my degree and, and, and I've been coaching ever since.
0: Absolutely. And, and again, we uh, went over some of your coaching stops there, but I want to ask you in that time period, how much, you know, obviously you've coached at both the high school level and then in the independent league level, but just in general, Bubba, how much has coaching changed since you started 42 years ago?
1: Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's completely different right now. you know, and it's just, uh, kids today, you know, everybody's dad plays or everybody's dad can pick right. up on, on YouTube and, uh, coaching now you know so when you get them at practice you know you you kind of have to be really careful because they're hearing different stuff at home or on the weekends or with their coach and all you know which is fine to me i mean i'm glad they're out there trying to improve the game but it makes it a little tough for uh for the high school coach
0: absolutely and and with that, too, what is the biggest difference between coaching high school and then coaching the independent leagues? And you're kind of overlapping, I assume, just looking at, re- at your resume, doing both uh, in the summertime. Your school ball obviously runs during the spring. Then you're transitioning over to the independent league ball in the, in the, in the summer going into early fall. So what's the biggest difference? And how do you kind of uh, change your mindset between the two uh, as the seasons kind of change there?
1: Well, it was you know it was eye opening for me the first my first year with Wally with the peanuts you know I kind of went in uh, thinking wow I'm going to get to hear some professional stuff you know and right. uh, really hear how how they do things maybe day one for spring training which I was looking forward to you know so I go in this meeting you know and I'm thinking I'm going to take some good mental notes and first thing Wally says is okay now here are the rules there are no rules <laughs> <He> <laughs> said, you know, in pro ball as long as you're doing the job you know you don't have a whole lot of rules you know and everybody kind of knows where they need to be and knows what they need to be doing. And I'm thinking, well, I can't go back home in high school and say, there are no rules, you know. So that was kind of funny, you know. So, uh, But uh, the biggest difference, of course, is it's the same game. It really is. It's just played at a different speed and a different level. Uh, My guys in high school, you know, we're still trying to learn the fundamentals. You know, we're still trying to hone those fundamentals and get better every day. Whereas those guys that are coming in an in, in independent league, a lot of those guys that have already been in the big leagues mm-hmm. and they're on their way down and they're trying to get back in. And a lot of the guys are trying to get in affiliated ball for the first time. So you see a lot of different uh, uh, variances of levels of ability, you know, but to watch those guys, and this is what I learned the most about, was just watching these guys go about their work. You know, in high school you gotta say, all right, let's go, you know, this is what we're gonna do. And pro guys, they kind of know how to do they're on their own schedule type thing. And it's amazing how much work they do before that television comes on at seven thirty and you watch the game. It's unbelievable the time they put in and the effort they put in.
0: Absolutely. It's it's more than just showing up, you know, an hour before the game and then playing and then shaking hands getting your snack after the game and then running kind of running away kind of like it was in Little League. (laughs)
1: Exactly. And, and you know, these guys, these pro guys, you know, and I used to listen to Wally all the time and he'd say, and Wally was a great numbers guy. He was, he was yeah. all about numbers, you know, and he could, he could take that stat sheet and he could break it down, tell you who was hot, who wasn't hot and that kind of stuff. And he says, you know, in the long run, baseball guys, all you got to show is numbers, you know, so you've got to put the numbers up and uh, he was big on that. And uh, it's just, it's a little bit different game. You know, I'm still trying to develop guys. I'm going to, I'm going to develop some guys that are going to, never play college baseball, never play professional baseball, but I try to get them to be the best player they can be. You know, I've I've developed a lot of good fathers and a lot of good husbands over the years. haven't developed a professional baseball player yet, though.
0: Absolutely. And, and, and along with that, you know, I was a graduate assistant um, in college. uh, And then I worked under Keith Gunn at Missouri State being a video coordinator. And, you know, I worked under some very successful coaches. And one of the biggest going along with that, Bubba, is one of the biggest aspects I learned kind of transitioning into college coaching was you're not here to necessarily, you know, yeah, you want to see your guys or, or, you know, your girls that are playing under you go go on to be professionals, but you want to make them better human beings first. Um, and that's probably when you have that as kind of the forefront of what you're doing, the rest kind of it, takes care of itself.
1: Exactly right. You know, and then 10 years later, when they come back and I had them come back to me and they say, hey, coach, uh, I'm coaching my son and we're doing you know what we did. And I'm thinking. I didn't even realize you knew what we were doing. Now you're doing it. Okay, that's great. You know, so uh, but they come back and, and say, "Hey, I finally figured out what you were talking about. And I appreciate what you did for me." And those kind of things that makes it worthwhile, you know. And of course, I've had a couple go on to college and play, <laughs> but I've, I've never had one to sign professionally. But still, you, you have, you know, you're proud of everything they accomplished because you spend so much time with them. You know, you learn to love them and you learn to support them.
0: Absolutely, and and real quick before we kind of transition into. Um, into to some of the players you have coached that uh, would were in the big leagues before you got a hold of them there in the uh, indie ball. But I really want to talk about your high school coaching career and the successes you've had and then any teams for you that stick out, whether it be the play on the field or just the team chemistry in general. What you learned from from any particular teams and, and what what kind of carried you or what um, what you learned from those teams that helped you moving forward as a coach.
1: Well, you know, over 42 years and, uh, you know, you've you come across a lot of different players and a lot of different levels. And, uh, you know, it's uh, I, I was lucky enough to – when they when they transitioned to fast-pitch softball, I guess maybe around 2000, in Georgia, they decided to play girls softball in the fall. So that gave me a chance to do softball in the fall and baseball in the spring. And, man, I was just – I was in heaven doing that, you know, because that's basically baseball all year round, you know what I'm saying, right. other, than, other than that pitcher in the circle but I've had some really good teams in the past. Uh, I have not won a state championship. We we finished uh, runner up three times, and I like to joke that my shortstop lost one, and I lost one, and the other team was better than we were in the third one. But actually, uh, I probably lost two, and, it, and the other team was better on one time anyway. <laughs> but, uh, you know, everything's got to fall into place, you know. I mean, and we've had some really, really good teams, and, and all you can hope for is just kind of the, to go as far as you can go, and a lot of times at the end of the season, you know, the assistant coaches, we get together and say, you know what, I don't I don't think there was anybody left we could beat, you know. So, you know, we had a really successful season, and that's how you got to you kind of hang your hat on it. And, you know, uh, your team next year will be based on who's coming up. But you can't really go out and recruit, you know. You're pretty much st- stuck with what you got, and you got to, you know, got to coach them up.
0: Absolutely. And, and a lot of my listeners, just to give you some background uh, here, Bubba, uh, I'm from the Southwest Missouri area, which is a huge, you know, they just live and breathe high school uh, baseball in that area. And actually my, my high school alma mater was picked to win state this year and was ranked one of the top 50 teams uh, in the nation. And then obviously with COVID-19, they didn't end up playing. So it would have been interesting to see how they would have fared. But, but I want to ask kind of on behalf of all the coaches there in Southwest Missouri and, and anybody who comes across this and is listening a couple things first in determining success, what obviously everybody can look at the win loss column, but in all your years of coaching, what more is there to than just wins losses that you could judge a season on? And then second, in terms of maybe a lot of times there's a lot of politics that gets into coaching or there's a lot of, you know, like you kind of were mentioning earlier parents who, who think they should be coaching or whatever. How do you kind of tune all that out and focus on, you know, again, making your players the best human beings possible and then winning baseball games?
1: Well, we, we've kind of, Pride in ourselves first of all you gotta you gotta surround yourself with good assistant coaches you know mm-hmm. and you gotta you gotta allow them to work you know you can't you can't tie their hands you want them to work and you want them to be part of the program uh you, you've got to sell yourself to the to the kids that hey the big picture you know it's not necessarily about statistics for you it's about what's the best for the team you know and and when, and every now and then you get that team that buys into that and it's really really special you know and it, we, we started it last few years ago that every day at the end of practice we would make our kids come by and look the coaches in the eye and shake their hand and we would say something to them every day on the way out the gate, you know, mm-hmm. because no matter what happened during the day, we wanted it to end on a good note, you know, and you don't know what kind of, what kind of home these guys are going to, you don't know what kind of problems are going out that gate to, you know, so we always try to leave them with something positive every day and feel like they were, they were loved and, uh, you know, uh, our love wasn't based on whether we won or lost, you know, it was based on if we worked hard and we set our goal and we became the best team we could be and they became the best player they could be. Then, then that was successful. And I felt like a lot of years we were really successful. Sometimes, you know, you do your best coaching on your worst teams and and people don't understand because they get caught up in the w- wins and losses. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's that way.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, kind of transitioning now into the uh, independent league aspect of things and you've mentioned before just give our least listeners uh, a little bit of background so he's mentioned a guy named wally wally backman um so this is a guy who 1986 world series champion played uh, 14 years in the big leagues with the new york mets the uh believe the philadelphia phillies pittsburgh pirates uh, seattle mariners and the minnesota twins um very successful playing career was was a uh uh Scrappy guy, you know, just played the game the right way, kind of, you know, based around speed and then, you know, got into coaching and built his teams really based around speed stealing bases and doing the little things. And, and that's how I was taught playing ball growing up was doing the little things the right way. So really admire Wally and, and you got to obviously work under him. So I'm um, in this documentary that I mentioned kind of tying everything together. There are two famous scenes from the documentary that became viral on YouTube. One was Wally Backman's ejection. And the other one was Wally when Wally and pitching coach buddy York went on a post game rant, those you can find them on YouTube, but there's so much more to that documentary, though, and I really want the focus of, you know, my conversations with people like you, and and if I'm fortunate to get other people from that team on, to be more about the team, because they won a championship, they had great players come through on that team, and it just seems like, and I'm kind of watching it from a coach's perspective, um, there was just the chemistry was everything you could ask for the, on that team. And I wasn't there, but just watching that documentary and just doing the research I've done. So I wish those were the things that had gone viral. So I want to hear it from you. What were the keys to success of that team?
1: Yeah, you're right. Uh, Wally, Wally became a YouTube sensation because of it. But, uh, you know, actually Wally and you talk about all those attributes of how you try to learn how to play the game. That's how Wally played the game. If you go back and watch how he played the game. So he liked to surround himself with guys that could do the same thing that he could do or, or the way he played. You know, we, we hit and ran. We, we stole bases. We played defense, pitching and defense. We had a couple of guys that get the ball out of the ballpark, mm-hmm. no doubt. But it was all about, uh, hey, get them on. If we need to move them over. We move them over. You know, we bring a big hitter up there. We play for the three-run homer. You know, he just did whatever we needed to do. And he – he was big on you know, in independent league ball, it's like a revolving door. Those guys go and come all the time, you know. Every every time you every day that rolls around in the minor league, somebody would get cut normally this year other than this year, of course. You know, right. but when after the draft guys are getting released all the time and so they're looking for a place to play. So Wally's, you know, he's scouring the, the ads, you know, the the paperwork and scouts are calling him, agents are calling him, you know. So as an independent player you you're kind of looking over your shoulder every day because somebody's coming after your job, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh Wally Wally was tremendous uh players coach. I mean, they loved him, they would run through the wall for him, you know. And uh he, he was just unbelievable. he got you know, he was uh sort of the face of the league in South <laughs> Coast League and uh as as a manager of it of all Benny. But now we had some great guys, we had some guys. We played in the championship round, and, and the final night we played, I'm thinking we had at least four guys in the lineup that had been in the big leagues. Yep. So we, we had some experience. Wally was the kind of guy that – you're talking about chemistry. You know, the pro guys kind of let the clubhouse go to the veterans, you know, and the veterans kind of control that clubhouse, and that's the way Wally wanted it, you know. And he would say – he would he would call the coaches in. And he would say, hey, uh, so-and-so is just not a peanut, you know. we And, you know, next day he'd be gone. you know, we'd bring somebody in there, and if they didn't fit in – not necessarily, you know, I didn't care if he's hitting three fifty or whatever, but if he wasn't fitting in that clubhouse and that chemistry wasn't the same since he got there, then you know, he's gonna be gone. So he surrounded himself with good kids that worked hard and the veterans took over that clubhouse and it was so fun to watch. I mean, <laughs> it was a hundred degrees in the summer in Albany, and those guys were out there early every day working.
0: Absolutely, and and I just I got that vibe just watching that documentary and then seeing guys like you were mentioning, you know, you had four guys there uh, Mike Caruso played for the, came up with the White Sox. I believe he was in the running for rookie of the year, his yeah. rookie year with the White yeah. Sox. Curtis Goodwin. Yeah,
1: might have been, been, run yeah, been runner-up. He was close. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then, you know, Curtis Goodwin, Desi Wilson, who uh, started out actually as a manager of the Anderson Joes, then went, right. you know, t- turned into like a player's coach, then came over and played for Wally and, and was in some sort of player coach capacity. So you had, you know, these guys with experience. But then I look at guys like, you know, John Zerang, who was a second-round draft pick by the Diamondbacks, who you were talking about earlier could hit home runs. And he was only there 26 games or so and, and moved on. But there was just a lot of leadership and people who played, you know, played pro ball who could bring that experience in. And then I, you know, look at guys like, you know, Jared Sutton, who – uh, Wally, you were talking about how Wally was good about finding talent, but he was also good at what it seems like and I'm not putting words in your Wally's mouth, but just my obser- you know observations was he was good at finding places and affiliated ball four players to, you know to go once they've excelled there in Georgia and I look at Jared Sun as a perfect example, gets called over in the middle of the game and told uh, he's now property of the Milwaukee Brewers. so it was kind of worked a, a two-way street there it seemed like.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. And Wally with all his contacts, you know, whether mm-hmm. they be ex players or front office people, you know, he was like Diamondback's manager for like three days before right. whatever happened happened, you know. So he was right there on the verge of being a big time manager. He still had his contacts. And man, I remember the night he called Jared Sutton over there and told him to pack his bags and get out of there, you know. <laughs> And, and, you know, it was great for Jaron, but it was great for everybody else because it gave the league a little bit of uh, notoriety or whatever the word is there that, hey, I can get out of this league and get into a 50 ball, but but I got I to gotta work.
0: Absolutely. And now kind of transitioning off of that to working for a guy like Wally Backman, how did you two connect? And then I want to talk about coaching the guys I'd mentioned, you know, Curtis Goodwin, Desi Wilson, Mike Crusoe. Having, you know, now you've got major league talent or people who have been in major leagues or, or you know, triple A, double A. What was that like for you personally as a coach to be able to, to be a mentor to these guys when they came through Albany, Georgia?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, how I met Wally. And I, I like to tell a story that Wally looked through a stack of resumes, you know, three or four inches thick and he picked me out. But honestly, I read in the paper one day where. Albany was getting a, a an independent league team, and Wally Backman was going to be the manager. And I really, I really, I'm like you. I like the way Wally played. I, I wasn't yeah. a big Mets fan, but I like I like the way he played. So I said, you know what? Uh, I may I may just try to see if I can't get on and see if I can't help somewhere. You know. So I called up there to the front office, and they said, well, Wally's not here, but he'll be in town next Tuesday. Would you like to come by and meet him? I said, I certainly would. So, so I set up an interview with Wally. So here I am. I'm a baseball coach. And uh, I'm thinking, well, you know, I've never been to a professional baseball interview. You know, what am I going to wear? What am I going to do? You know, how am I going to present myself as a baseball coach? You know, so I said, I tell you what, this is what I did. And I probably, it was probably pretty, pretty silly, but I went in and put on my practice uniform. And I went in and introduced myself to him and said, Hey, I'm sorry, I'm on my way to practice. And I really wasn't on my way to practice. (laughs) I'm, uh, I'm trying to look like a baseball guy, you know. Yeah. And uh, so we talked and, uh, you know, we kind of hit it off. You know, we could, I could tell we hit it off really good, but I had no idea there'd be a position for me. But uh, luckily, you know, I was getting paid during the summer as a teacher. So I didn't, I was kind of a volunteer guy. I lived 15 miles away. After the game was over and got dressed 20 minutes, I'd be at home, you know. Right. So it was perfect for him. And I said, Hey, look, it's going to be 100 degrees and naps are off. Or you're going to need some extra BP throwing. I'll come volunteer my time. Well, a couple of days later, he hired a pitching coach locally as well. Buddy, Buddy York yep. was, was local, and he played a little independent ball. And Buddy and I had coached some American Legion ball together, so Buddy knew me. So when Wally asked me about me, Buddy said, "Yeah, he's a good guy. I get him, you know." So uh, I kind of stumbled into that, and uh, it it was it was unbelievable because Wally and I hit it off really good. And I like to think that. Uh, you know, we're, we're not really – we're close to age. He's not as old as I am, but we're close to age, and, and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of mutual, and I didn't bother him, you know, and I didn't, I didn't uh, harass him about autographs and signing this to my buddies and all this, you know. I just went to work every day, and he appreciated right. that. And uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, as far as coaching those guys, man, you just kind of – I just sat back every day and awe and watched those guys, you know. They they tell you what they want, you know. And I, I told them the first day I was throwing BP, I said, look. I said, I'll get down a cage and I'll throw with you all you want to throw. I said, I'm not going to critique your swing. I'm not going to try to change anything. <laughs> I said, you want to talk to me? you want to run something by me? I said, I'm fine. I said, but I'm here to throw and you figure it out. Because those guys, you know, right. they got to the big leagues with their swing, you know, knowing their abilities, you know. So, how they got, I'm thinking, are they going to listen to a high school coach? No. So I sat back and I watched, and, and it's just crazy how the bonds developed between all the players. I mean, when the game was over, you know, it wasn't like one guy going this way, one guy going that way. They, they, they hung together, and that chemistry was something else. And uh, you name some of those guys, and our shortstop was uh, Johnny Washington, and I mm-hmm. think he's in the Dodger organization. I saw him a couple of years ago throwing in the All-Star game to one of the Dodgers yeah. in the All-Star home run derby. And then, uh, you know, we had other guys that wasn't in the big leagues. We had, the, you know, you said Zerane came from LSU. We had a Arizona State second baseman, uh, Brant, Steve Garbrandt. And yeah. I think he signed during the summer as well, too. He moved on. And uh, and we had Joey Hoof who had played at uh, Miami. We had mm-hmm. an outfitter by the name of Jasha Balcom, who had played at the University of Georgia and had a great career there and played with the Cubs and been released. And Jasha, I don't know if you know this, but, footnote, jasha he is, he is the body double in the movie 42. He played Jackie Robinson's body double of the, the actor who played Jackie Robinson. He played his double in the movie, so he, he kind of became famous for that a little bit as well. And we just had guys that just would get after you day in and day out, and that's what it, that, that made it fun. And then when we picked up uh, Caruso, man, he, he was a pleasure. He was really a pleasure to work with because he was so professional, and he, he'd been out of baseball for a while. So he really needed a lot of work. So we hit him a lot of ground balls. and threw him a lot of BP, and he was so appreciative of it. And it was amazing to see that talent come back. You know, it gradually came back, and it just started coming back really quick, you know. And he got it back, and he had a heck of a year down the stretch. And uh, Curtis Goodwin was probably the life of the team. Uh, he, was, he, he was unbelievable. leadoff hitter or, you know, or second hitter, wherever you hit in the lineup, man, his speed. He played just like Wally liked to play, you know. And then we had a guy by the name of Doc Brooks who had played at Georgia and played in the big leagues and had played under Wally in uh, the Diamondback organization. So he knew how Wally was, and Wally could call him in there and say, hey, Doc, you know, the club is this and that, you know, hey, get it taken care of, and Doc would get it taken care of, you know. But then when the when the team needed a uh, swift kick in the butt, you know, Wally was always there. And you saw one of those YouTubes, you okay. said, I think it was in Macon, we we had played really good early in the year, and then we hit a lull. We had some injuries. We lost some guys that signed. Uh, just wasn't playing very good. And we went to Macon, and, and and they had really gotten on fire. And we played bad, and, and Wally just lit into them. And and it was amazing. The next day we came back, you know, and, and the good thing about Wally, you come back the next day, and he's still Wally, you know, and everybody loves him. And, and they went to work, and we turned it around and were able to win a championship
0: absolutely and and macon was coached by a guy named phil plantier who spent some time in the big leagues with the yes, uh, reds red sox and then the cardinals so and there were other guys too that that coached in that league you know cecil fielder started off as a roving hitting instructor and then would go on to coach oh uh, and forgive me i can't remember which it was it Braden. i believe he took over yes, for jackie charlotte. yeah yeah, charlotte.
1: Jack. Okay. yeah jackie was in Brayton. no jackie was in port charlotte and then uh Cecil took his place and finished the year there. Yep.
0: Yep. And so, you know, you had a lot of this big league experience. And then you look at a guy who you work with there, Larry Olenberger, who spent some time in the angels organization, had a lot of success in the minors, uh, had some independently uh, ball time there with the windy city Thunderbolts. He, uh, he also coached with a guy who used to play a uh, big time Cubs name of Steve Trout. They both worked together at um at, with the windy city Thunderbolts. So you have all these guys, obviously, Wally Backman, so you have all this major league and, and minor league experience kind of collectively come together in that one league. So for you, did you cease the opportunity to be able to pick guys' brains like Cecil Fielder when he'd come to town or, or even Larry's uh, or Phil's? Did you, you know, were you networking with these guys? Were you asking them questions or were you just kind of sitting, you know, sitting back doing your thing and, and just kind of observing?
1: Yeah, you know, the biggest thing was, you know, they would all come over because of big league time. They would come over to with Wally and sit and talk with Wally, you know, and I, I'm just hanging on every word like a, like a teenager, you know. I'm just trying to pick up something, you know. And Cecil came to town. The first time Cecil came to town, he was the roving hitting instructor for the league, if you remember that, start mm-hmm. with. So he comes out, he's talking to the hitters, and they talk him into getting into the cage, and he's going to take some BP. So I'm throwing BP, and I'm thinking, I'm throwing BP to Cecil Fielder. And he got in that turtle, the cage there, and I had never seen a bigger man in the cage in my whole <laughs> life. I mean, it was unbelievable. And he hit a few balls. He squared up a few. But he told me, he said, all right, next time, he says, I'll hit before I come back next time, and I'll put on a show for y'all. Mm-hmm. And then the next time he came, he was actually managing the team, you know. But Larry, Larry, was, Larry Oldenberger was probably the unsung hero of that team. If you, if you go back and look at the times that Larry actually managed the team that <laughs> year for whatever reason, uh, our, our winning percentage was really, really good because Larry managed just like Wally wanted it to do, too. and they, You know, he played the same type of ball, and Larry Larry was good. He was a really good hitting guy, a really good third-base coach. Uh, guys liked him, and, uh, you know, he, he was a pleasure to work with. We became really close, and then uh, when we went to Joliet the next year, Larry went, with Wally. So I joined Larry and Wally and Joliet the next year. And then the second year in Joliet, I went up with Wally. It was Floyd Yeomans, the ex-major league pitcher, was pitching coach. So, I mean, you know, Wally surrounded himself with good people, and I just – I listened to everything I could hear and try to pick it up. And, uh, you know, that's how coaches – I think a lot of that coaching is, is, you know, you, you take bits and pieces of things that you can relate and take back to you, what you do, you know. And because uh, if there's one way to do it, I, I tell everybody if there's one way to hit, we'd all buy that book and we'd all be hit the same way, you know. So you got to figure out your system, your philosophy, and man, I just I'm listening to everybody and thinking what can I take back to my high school team, you know. And it, it was a lot of we we got a lot of we got a lot of bunt plays and a lot of first and third <laughs> stuff, but uh, we never could we never did get into the launch angle. I'll put it that
0: way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I was. Uh, because, um, you know, my dad's a huge baseball fan and he's, you know, what introduced me to baseball and I'm always talking to him and, and you know, we grew up, uh, I was talking to you earlier, I'm a huge Cubs fan and, and yeah. but I had the opportunity to work for the White Sox, which was a great opportunity, but just in working in both leagues, I, you know, I respect the American League, but I, I, I feel, I'm kind of like. You know, you there's not that, you know, obviously the pitcher batting, you know, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle there. I mean, the American League, you have the DH. So I just feel like the National League is more exciting and there's a lot more opportunities for you to put on a fun game. You don't have to sit back and wait for the three-run homer. You know, you can do things here and there. The little things that will add up to sometimes three, four, five runs in an inning.
1: Yeah, and Wally Wally was that kind. You know, he would say, look, they said, we get in, you know, we get in a, a hitter's count if you're on base and we're in a hitter's count, which means, you know, 1-0, 2-1, 3-1, whatever, he's going to start that runner. We're going to hit and run because he loved putting guys in motion. And, and I remember when we were in Joliet, we were going through a tough time, and he was, you know, trying to push all the buttons and all that kind of stuff. And I think we, we hit and ran into two triple plays in one week. <laughs> we had runners on first and <laughs> second. We hit and run, and we hit a live drive right at somebody for a triple play, like, Two out of the three days. I mean it was unclear that's how bad Snake Bit were, you know, but Wally said, hey, you just gotta keep you gotta keep pushing the buttons and see what happens, you know. And, and you know what? It's fun to play, it's fun to watch, you know, and it's fun to coach that kind of ball.
0: Absolutely. I, I agree one hundred percent. And kind of going along there, you know, you moved to Juliet. Um, again, they're in the frontier league now. At the time it was the Northern League. Um, what was the biggest difference of play in, in in case you weren't listening to my last podcast? So the South Coast League was a newly formed league yep. only made it a year um but they had again a lot of great talent come through a lot of great coaches Jackie Fernandez played in the big leagues so a lot of their managers had played in the big leagues um but then you know you go to Juliet they're in at the time the northern league so what was the difference of the biggest difference of play between the the south coast league and the northern league
1: well you start getting a little bit of older guys you know a little veteran guys you know and uh the ballparks were outstanding. I mean, we had a great one at Joliet. It was called Silver Cross at the time. I'm not mm-hmm. sure what it's called now, who sponsors it now. But what a beautiful stadium there. We went to Kansas City. and had a beautiful ballpark out there. Winnipeg had a nice one. Uh, you know, just great, great facilities, great crowds. Uh, you know, just a little above where we were at in South Coast League baseball-wise, you know, I'm sure a lot of you should say it's Easy that we could we could feel a double-a team or a triple-a team in, in some places, you know
0: absolutely and i i uh you know i had the opportunity so i lived in chicago and and visited juliet uh several times and got to go to some games there i knew some people working in the front office there and just you know i'm very shocked juliet in particular and i can't speak for all the teams i've i've been past the you know where the kansas city t-bones play at and, and Schomburg boomers there and Just don't understand why Juliet cannot field a, you know, at least a a low A team at best um, or, or, you know, at least, um, you know, you're right. The facility there is amazing. So going along with that, does that make it easier as a coach? Or is there really no difference between, so you're in South Georgia and, and the From what I could tell, the Peanuts, you know, had a had a decent facility compared to places like Anderson, South Carolina, where you didn't even visiting team, didn't even have a locker room. So but as a coach, are those things very much important or was there really not that big of a difference between the facilities in in the Northern League and the South Coast League in terms of how you how you coached it and what what things they had to offer in terms of train you know, training rooms, uh, workout facilities, things like that?
1: Yeah, you know it's it's a lot different. It really is, and it's nice to have all that other stuff. But I tell you what, you know, if those guys are, are trying to keep that uniform on one more day, you know, yeah. and and I promise you, the facilities were not entering into their mind. They were just glad to go get forward bats or get a chance to go out on the mound and compete. You know, uh, you know, a lot of the times those guys, you know, would, Wally would call them in, and and he would release them. You know, you know that you know they were going back home, and that was it. You know. Yeah, and every chance he got, he was always. And the guy I work under now, my manager, I work under now, Jamie Keith, with the with the uh, High Point Rockers. He he's the same way. He always tries to find him a place to play. You know, before he even calls them in there, and say, hey, "Look, I gotta let you go. Appreciate what you've done, but you now you've got a chance to go so and so and play if you want to." You know, and a lot of times those guys are so so hurt and upset at the time, they really don't want to go anywhere else and play. You know. But a lot of them are thankful for they have another opportunity to go play, you know, because once you kind of take that uniform off, you're back in the real world. And, uh, mm-hmm. man, that was – see. It, it, you know, I was lucky because I got I got like 31 years in the real world before I got in the first professional locker room. And the first weekend with the Peanuts, and you've seen the documentary, so you know Wally was going to be gone that first weekend. He mm-hmm. was going to work to sign autographs. You remember that?
0: Right. Yep, yep.
1: So we, we went to uh, – port charlotte and and play the first weekend series and wally wasn't there of course you know i come out of the dugout and they're all expecting wally back when you know so i got the white hair like wally and boy they all start hollering wally wally so i go over there you know to sign a couple of autographs and i go hey uh you know i'm, I'm not wally but i'll sign it for you, you know and i'll never forget. some guy goes he just goes turns around and everybody in the crowd goes it's not wally it's not wally just go back and sit down you know and i'm thinking okay <laughs> so i'm not watching uh, you know i got a rude away right there but uh larry managed that team that weekend and we played and i think we won all three games and it's kind of like it kind of jump started the whole season you know and then wally met him on the road trip right after that and, and man we just took off and played outstanding baseball the first part of the season
0: absolutely i believe you all started out a six and one and in that first weekend series so you're you're the first uh the first game or maybe it was the second game you, you tell me if i'm wrong but your pitcher i can't remember the guy's name now but he that was his first professional start as well so already he's a little nervous because and then it was his first time pitching since he had had uh, tommy john surgery so combine those two, two things together and it just made for uh a very exciting but also probably a nerve-wracking time for for a lot of people on that team
1: yeah it was it was it was you know it was kind of a new league nobody knew what was you know, how it was going to go, you know. And I remember the first night uh, they had – they announced that they were going to have par- paratroopers bring in the game ball. You know, they're mm-hmm. going to fly the ball in, you know, whatever. <laughs> Me and Larry, we're lined up on the line, you know, the championship. Call out the lineups or whatever, you know, we're standing at home plate. And he goes, turn your attention to the sky whatever. And here comes a guy with a flag, you know, and here comes a guy with a game ball. And the guy with the game ball – Hits the back of the outfield and mm-hmm. doesn't make it into the stadium. Man, it's, it's like you know, we go, Oh, you know, we didn't know what to think, you know. And paramedics go running out there, and, and then a couple minutes later, he comes running in with the ball, you know. So it was like it's like an omen, you know. So <laughs> I get to, get to the ballpark for the first game that night, and uh, I go in the locker room, and it's my first professional game and my first professional locker, you know. So I call my wife and I say, Hey. It took me 31 years and three kids, but I finally in my first professional locker room. She said, man, that's great. You know, I was in tears, you know, and she says, enjoy it, you know, and man, we got off to a good start, and it was so much fun playing, and uh, I've been lucky. I've I've done seven summers of independent ball, you know, and uh, by no means do I know any more baseball than any of these other high school guys. I've just been fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time.
0: Absolutely. And going along with that too, do your kids, um, and I know I believe in watching the documentary, you also, your your teaching job was, was uh, elementary or middle school PE. So, you know, yeah. did your kids kind of look up to you and were like, you know, oh my gosh, you're a professional baseball coach. And what kind of you know, how did that make you feel and, and what kind of influence did you have on them in terms of if, if maybe some of your kids want to grow up to be professional baseball players? Did you see that as a positive uh, thing that you could uh, kind of pass on to the kids as
1: well? Yeah, it was, you know, and they, and, and like you said, they all asked, uh, you know, like you did a while ago, you know, what did you learn? That, you know, what are you learning from them that you can bring back home, you know? And, and uh, you know, you just learn so much stuff, but at the same time, you have to adapt it to your program, you know? But, uh, you know, we had a lot of, I was doing a lot of elementary piece. So I wasn't exactly uh, suggesting that they watch that video. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and I'm sorry, I've got to laugh because if, if my listeners would just go watch it, if you get it on Amazon, there's two different versions. There's the uh, Playing for Peanuts uh, censored version, and then there's the version I have that's the uncensored version. So I'll let you uh, kind of figure it out from there. But uh
1: anyway. the unsus- person is the one I, I live. So I couldn't, uh, I couldn't really push that video when it came out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so, so, you know, but again, you know, you had that influence, you know, you had people influence you and then you're bringing it back to, to your high school and even maybe it, it's some of your t- teaching curriculum. And and then you, you know, move on to Juliet. We've talked about that. And so I guess kind of wrapping it up and then we'll talk about uh, your the the high point rockers what you're doing today but do you have any advice for those players or even coaches who are looking to break into professional ball or even maybe looking to you know they're listening to this and are like you know I want to make my team better I want to you know put myself obviously every coach wants to win state and put themselves in the best position but if there's kind of something you could give them that maybe they don't get on a daily basis in terms of advice what would that be
1: yeah you know player wise I mean I'm telling you you know there are no shortcuts professional mm-hmm. baseball those guys are talented uh it's amazing when you walk in the locker room the size and strength of those guys you don't you don't get that on tv you don't see that you know and we'll be after the ball game and, and you know they've been there since one o'clock and they worked out and they played and then after the ball game you can hear those weights pounding in the weight room you know those guys those guys are dedicated and, and i tell my high school guys you know you, you got to do something that separates you from everybody else because everybody plays you know right and behind every blade of grass there's a guy throwing 88 you know you, you got you got to figure out how to get to 90 91 92 whatever it is you know whatever it is you got to you got to separate yourself and you got to be able to sell yourself to somebody else you know so keep working work on the little things don't take and, and you know i try to tell people that uh i learn every day something new about baseball you know, and when the time comes and I can't learn anything new, then I'm going to get out of this game. But I tell you what, I've been around it for, like you said, 42 years, and, and I learn something every day watching these guys, you know, and, and that's, that, that keeps me going. As far as a coach, I would tell you right now, and I've done a lot of it since we've been quarantined, is I've watched a lot of podcasts. I've watched a lot of big league guys, and I'm an infield guy. I'm an infield guy. I really like to coach the infield part of it. I've watched a lot of podcasts on on infield play, and I've learned some things that – that maybe, maybe I knew, but I didn't know how to teach. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I learned different things. And so as a coach, I tell you, continue to learn the game. You know, continue to learn the game. Be humble. Uh, you know, it's just uh, it's, it's professional baseball is unbelievable. You know, that's why there's just so few of those guys out there, you know, because it's not easy. I remember Larry Parrish, who played for the Tigers and all. He's a friend of mine. He lives in this area. And he said baseball is like a – train ride. You know, it, it stops and people get off. It rides a little further, people get off. It rides a little further, stops and get off. And he said, you just try to keep riding that train, you know, as long as you can, you know, keep keep trying to figure out how to, how to put on a uniform one more day. And I, I tell him all the time, I'm lucky. I said, I get to get up in the morning and put on a baseball uniform. And I stand out there and coach first base in front of maybe 3,000 people. I said, but everybody my age, I look up at the stands and I know because I was there they would kill to be where I'm at, you know. They'd do anything to come out there and coach what I'm doing, you know. And so I appreciate that, and I know that. So I try to be humble with it, you know, and I try to be nice to the fans, try to be nice to the kids, you know. And, and I try to give back to the game, you know. This, this game is very humbling, you know. Uh, these pro guys, you know, they, they go 0 for 4, and they take it home with them. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not all funny games with them because they know they've got to put numbers up, you know, and it makes it tough.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And the same, probably, you know, high school guys who, who, and and I want to ask you too, as a high school coach, what is your influence in terms of, you know, obviously your, your players hopefully have aspirations to want to go on and play pro or or college or pro ball. So what kind of influence do you have on a day to day basis? Are you reaching out to scouts or, or, you know, local like um, area scouts or, or, junior college coaches saying hey I've got a guy here who I think you need to take a look at are you really as a high school coach advocating for your players if you think they have you know what it takes to to move to the next level
1: yes I, I think you have to do that I think you have to do that. I think you owe it to your kids and uh, the, the big thing is that you've got you've to develop a relationship with these college coaches and these scouts and all I mean you can't send a guy to play college ball that really doesn't deserve to be there in my opinion because you send him up there then he's going to whatever's going to happen, he's going to come home. So the next time you get ready to send a player to that coach, he's going to go, right. you know, that guy's already sent me one guy. He wasn't very good. Well, this other guy might be really good, you know. So I, I, I try to place them where they get a chance to play. You know, I mean, I tell them all the time, I said everybody wants to go to Florida State and play. But I said, I want to go to Florida State and play. But I, I had to go to a small college because I fit there. You know, I had a chance to play. There was not a shortstop coming back there. You know, don't go somewhere where there's a sophomore all-region you know, infield playing ahead of you, you're just gonna sit behind him, and then you're gonna be discouraged and and be done. You know, so you know, scout around, look around, see what's available, and, and get where you feel comfortable. So when you do play, it'll be it'll be comf- comfortable, and you'll enjoy your environment there,
0: for sure. And and moving into our next segment now, uh, obviously going on, you know, looking at before this pandemic hit, you know, your second season there there at High Point and High Point, North Carolina again, Atlantic League. Um, so in the Atlantic league is, in my opinion, the, the premier independent league, you know, every player who, who goes and plays independent league wants to go play in the Atlantic league because you've got teams with a lot of tradition, like the long Island ducks, um, you know, the Lancaster barnstormers have a lot of history, you know, the high point rockers are, um, a, a newer team, but you know, had some success last year. So talk about being in that league. Now you're coaching against Wally, uh, but you, but you're working under a really, really, uh, Good manager with a lot of success, and I believe you're. I believe it's the pitching coach for High Point. Also uh, had some time in the big leagues as well. So you've got uh, opportunities to learn there. So talk about that. The team today, last year, and and uh, this experience.
1: Well, uh, three years ago, I went to Rockland, New York, with the Rockland Boulders in the Can-Am League with Jamie Keith as manager, and we were there two years, and then the High Point Rockers became an expansion team in the Atlantic League. So Jamie got that managing job, and he took me with him. So last year was an expansion team. And generally, at that level, expansion teams don't compete very well. Well, we made the playoffs, and it was quite mm-hmm. kind of like unheard of, you know. So Jamie does a great job of getting players. He's got a fellow by the name. I think you know his name, Billy Horn. Yep. He's a player procurement guy. And he may have more contacts than anybody I've ever been around. He knows more people. He's on the phone all day. He's working it. He's finding out who's being released. He's talking to agents. So we're getting good players because you have to have good players because everybody in the Atlantic League, I mean, I know I know last year, I don't forget what what the roster was, 23, 25 or whatever. And Wally up in Long Island, he had like 18 guys that had big league experience playing. Mm-hmm. You know. So I mean, those guys are older, they're veteran guys, you know, they know how to play the game, they know how to get the work in. So you have to be really, really good and to be able to compete on a daily basis. And we felt really blessed that we were able to open a brand-new ballpark, make the playoffs the first year, and we were really looking to come in this year and really, really improving on that. And then, uh, of course, all of a sudden everything's shut down. But now the Atlantic League is now affiliated with Major League Baseball. You know, we mm-hmm. were the league that they went in and tried to experiment with some, some rules, you know, and we did different rules. We had the uh, – automatic umpire, whatever it's called robot umpire we did that and that was a nightmare for a while you know because players couldn't get used to it umpires couldn't get used to it uh, we did some crazy pickoff things you know we just we had no shift rules and all that and, and major league baseball was uh, supporting our, our league by letting us do that because I'm sure they didn't want their top prospects down there doing all these crazy rules you know they wanted them playing baseball so they were going to experiment with our league which was fine you know. But we had some growing pains with it. So we were looking forward to uh, really having a, a, a good year this year. We picked up some guys evidently talking to Jamie. Uh, our pitching coach is Frank Biola, who was uh, MVP World Series guy, you know, with the uh, Twins and pitched with the Mets. Uh, he had coached in the Mets farm system with Wally last few years, a few years ago. And so they got back together. And uh, man, I tell you what, the first first weekend I was there, Frank says, Hey, I'm going to have the pitching meeting in here in the coaches clubhouse you want to you want to hang around and i said yeah i had never really you know been in the pitchers meeting so i'll you know i'll sit around just sit back in the corner and listen you know so they come in and, and that was the first time i'd ever heard them do it you know so they're going down the lineup frank's really prepared he's he does his homework too you know and and uh he sees tendencies and things and and, and most of the guys in the atlantic league if you can imagine they have either played with everybody or they've seen everybody you know what i'm saying uh-huh. So we just go around the room, hey, how'd you pitch so and so? He'd say, Hey, he does this, he does that. So everybody kind of knew everybody, you know. So when you, you kind of got in there, you knew how you was gonna pitch everybody, you knew who was hot, who could run, all that good stuff, you know. So the second second series, Frank says, Hey, we're gonna meet again. You wanna you wanna sit in here with us? And I said, uh, no, that's all right, just uh pitch everybody hard in and soft away and you got it. So he started laughing, <laughs> he said, get out of here. <laughs> but he's a great guy. And, you know, they have no, they have no mound meetings in, in that league either. They, the, the pitching coach couldn't go to the mound. Wow. So if the manager went to the mound, you had to make substitutions. So Frank, being a you know, professional pitcher guy, you know, big-league pitching guy, it drove him crazy because, you know, he couldn't go out and talk to the pitchers. He couldn't go out and slow the pitcher down or talk to him, you know. And it was frustrating for him, but he did a great job. I watched him work in the, at, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon with his pitchers, and it is a thing of beauty.
0: Absolutely. And it's definitely something, uh, last question here before we transition into my last segment, which is Tyler's five, but I really want to ask what is kind of going along with that as an independent league ball coach, what is your day-to-day life? Like, so, you know, Bubba Birdsong wakes up at whatever time in the morning and then what happens from there? Are you going, you know, eating breakfast, going straight to the ballpark? Do you have, is there a lot of work life balance where you're able to, you know, to stay at home till, till 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, then head over to the ballpark or, or has that changed with each stop that you've been in? Is that just kind of up to each individual coach you work for?
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, with Jamie at, at High Point, I would, I would be at the motel and sleep in, you know, and get up and have a, you know, I guess you call it a breakfast or lunch, brunch, whatever, you know, and, and used to be at the ballpark by twelve, twelve thirty. And, you know, and then the guys would come in and start trickling in at one, one thirty, you know, and we'd get extra work in and then we'd start our our practices, uh, you know, BP and teamwork or whatever around three, three thirty. And then, you know, you get through at night and then you, you know, coaches sit around and, you know, everybody's so wired, you know, you can't like just go back to the room and go to sleep, you know. It's just it's just, you know, the adrenaline's still flowing, you know. So we sit around and we had a really good great coaching staff and we would sit around and, and and basically talk baseball. You know, and it's just like baseball, twenty four seven. You know, and uh, what a great, what a great feeling to wake up in the morning and know all you got to do is go to the ballpark. That is, it is that is the best feeling I've ever had.
0: Absolutely, and I, I definitely look forward. Uh, as I was telling you, uh, as we were kind of visiting over the last week or so, you know, I had tickets to opening weekend for. For the the ducks this year, and then I found out you were coaching at High Point. I'm like, you know, when the season starts, I'll go see High Point uh, play the Ducks. So I definitely look forward to uh, to being at the ballpark uh, sometime and, and meeting you and meeting Wally and and seeing you two go head to head with your respective teams.
1: Uh, it will be fun. I look forward I just hope we're playing baseball somewhere soon. and I tell you, it's, it's going to be fun.
0: Absolutely. Hey, are you ready for uh, Tyler's five here?
1: Uh, I guess I'll give it a shot.
0: All right. And it's just five random questions that have absolutely nothing to do with anything, but I just uh just kind of get to know you better. So first question, Bubba, uh favorite city to visit?
1: Oh, Quebec. Well, yeah, uh, went there in the Can Am League. Beautiful.
0: Wow. I've never been there. I've never actually been to Canada, but it's definitely uh definitely on my bucket list. So I will uh if I ever decide to make a trip up there, I'll definitely uh look yeah, at putting yeah, that on yeah, my list. Is-
1: old city and you walk down in the old city. It's unbelievable. Beautiful.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Coke or Pepsi? Uh, Coke. Coke, same here. So got to agree with you on that. Uh, So now you're from the South or or you're living there in the South. So even though this isn't uh, Georgia or Alabama, you'll respect this question. Um, Duke or North Carolina?
1: (laughs) You know, being from Georgia, I can like both of them. Uh, I'm a Coach K Duke fan
0: absolutely absolutely I, I respect that 100% so fourth question here if you could have dinner with one person living or not who would that be
1: uh mickey mantle that was my hero growing up
0: oh wow good one and uh, i'll tell you a quick story about uh mickey mantle here so i grew up in a town uh of 6000 called uh, willard missouri just outside about 10 minutes northwest of springfield missouri and mickey mantle uh played joplin's about an hour away so he played a uh, minor league ball Uh, in Joplin but the scout that actually found Mickey Mantle um, and also I believe Jackie Robinson as well uh, is from my hometown Um, his name's Tom Greenway the baseball field I I grew up going to or grew up playing at is called Tommy Greenway Memorial Field so he was the one who actually scouted Mickey Mantle
1: oh yeah I I remember this I remember that name yep
0: yep so uh, he's from my hometown of 6,000 so uh, rich baseball history there for sure and last one and and uh the reason I'm asking this is and I'll reveal which band I'm I'm referring to but my favorite band of all time is from this era so I have to ask first favorite 70s song Favorite 70s song uh
1: anything by bread
0: Okay all right my uh my group
1: and, and music yeah
0: Okay so are you a ZZ Top fan by chance
1: Uh not really
0: Oh okay all right that's my that's my favorite band so that's why I kind of had to ask that question so uh hey i appreciate you uh your time and and you playing along there and really enjoyed our conversation i tell you what when uh when not if but when the season starts and and high point makes run at the playoffs and and long island makes run at the playoffs and you two are going head to head let's have you back on how does that sound
1: hey no doubt i would love to do that i appreciate you doing this for me thank you yep
0: absolutely bubba bird song